In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. A political clash on January 6th in Georgia deepens. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're listening to us for the first time, please be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Patricia, another busy week to recap, and it's going to be a busy day at the Bluestein household because our kids, our 11-year-old and 8-year-old, are coming back from summer camp in the North Georgia Mountains, sleepaway camp, the same camp that Cheryl and I both went to as a kid, and the same camp that I worked at for three summers. So the Bluestein household, which was blessedly quiet for a few weeks, is about to get a lot noisier. I love it. We are packing R2 up to go to camp and they're packing lists. I have to get 28 shirts, 28 pair of shorts. <laughs> There's so much COVID tests, this and that. So we are extremely busy as well. But unfortunately, we're sending ours away for two weeks, but they'll be, you know, they'll be back soon. I'll use the time to as I told uh, my husband to clean out our closets. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> Very exciting. You should go on like, you should go to like Iceland or something fun. Um, But by the way, they'll never wear those 28 shirts. They'll wear like, we have pictures of our kids that they upload every night and they're wearing like the same three shirts over and over again, even though we pack them dozens. (laughs) Yeah. I'm worried all the clothes are going to come back clean and I'm going to be very confused because there's no laundry available. A quick side story. I was, when I was a counselor, we would always like send back our kids and sometimes they wouldn't have showered in weeks and stuff. And the parents would be <laughs> horrified because they'd have, my little brother came back once, but it's just like, just mur- mert, d- mud and dirt, just caked over, hadn't showered in days. And my mom was one of those people horrified. Like, hey, can you at least shower my kids before they come back? So we've changed no, all that. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. Well, coming up later, we're going to talk about clashes over abortion and public safety in Georgia's top races. But first, the question we get all the time, all the time. I mean, I got it Monday in Savannah when I was speaking at it. The next day when I was speaking at a conference is whether the January 6th fallout will impact the November election. We don't have a crystal ball But at a campaign stop in Dalton, Senator Raphael Warnock sent a clear message. He said that January 6th is a part of us. We cannot forget what happened that day. But he said also, just as much, January 5th is also a part of who we are. And of course, that was the day that he and John Ossoff swept the Senate runoffs. And Patricia, it's early to prognosticate about the hearings, the impact they have. We know a lot of Republicans are tuning out. We know a lot of Democrats. It's confirming what they thought about Donald Trump and it's confirming 
what they thought about the fallout of, of his attempts to overturn the election results. We're not sure how it'll play into the prosecutions here in Georgia and Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis's ongoing investigation, but it's a part of our history. It's a part of our record as a nation. And the hearings just a few days ago showed just how close we might have been to basically a, a real constitutional showdown had Donald Trump showed up at the U.S. Capitol and tried to usurp the will of the voters. We would have been talking about an entirely different story right now. From listening to those hearings, you really do get a sense there's so much more that we don't know about what was happening in the White House. The information that came out from Cassidy Hutchinson was basically unimaginable. Nobody's nobody's heads really could have gone there, that there would have been that amount of chaos on that particular day. Now, will it affect the 2022 election? I think it will affect more the 2024 election, whether Donald Trump runs, whether Republicans have the stamina to stick with him through all of this. I really I was talking to a Republican yesterday about some polling that they've done about Republican voter attitudes heading into 2022, and the overall sense is that Republicans like most Americans are just exhausted. Like they're exhausted of crises. They are exhausted of lurching from one disaster to another. And I think that that will affect, um, and you hear that from Republicans, even would you support Donald Trump 24? A lot of times it's like a, oh, God, oh, you know, it's just every time the January 6th hearings present more and more evidence and retellings from Trump's old staff, how concerned they were, how unacceptable the entire event was to them. It's hard to see how this helps Trump in 2024. Now, getting back to 22, what we hear from Republicans a lot is Americans aren't paying attention to that. They're paying attention to gas prices. They're paying attention to grocery prices. Americans can pay attention to all of those things, but you really do get a sense that Republicans want to change the subject, don't want to talk about the abortion ruling as much. They really want to talk about the inflation. They want to talk about the economy because that's where they know their own voters are being motivated right now. Yeah, one Republican said, we'd rather be talking about the price of ginger snaps right now than, than the abortion ruling. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and this was a first. This doesn't happen that often. But but Governor Kemp the other day, I was at one of his events on Tuesday morning, and he did not take any questions. And me and Doug Richards from 11 Alive were out there waiting patiently for him. And, you know, usually he is more than willing, more than happy, you know, because he's very on message. He's, he's not too worried about making gaffes or, or stumbles or anything like that. But that just was a reminder to me how little he wants to talk about because he knew our questions were going to be related to the Supreme Court ruling. On the subject of polling, Patricia, I don't want to get too deep into the Kanepiak poll because the top line numbers have been disregarded, mocked, dismissed by candidates and campaigns um, from both sides of the aisle. I mean, within minutes of that poll, which showed Democrats we, have we talk the advantage about what, in the Senate race. Yeah, let's talk about what the, that poll said, though, if people didn't know. Yeah, okay. Um, it showed that Raphael Warnock was 10 points up on Herschel Walker, and not a single, um, it's an outlier, not, not a single piece of internal data or public polling or anything else shows that dynamic by any means. And it shows a head to a really close head-to-head race between Stacey Abrams and, and Governor Kemp. And look, that also flouts what we've seen and what we've heard and what's happening on the ground, which is Kemp has a single-digit lead, but a solid, you know, four, five, or six-point single-digit lead, depending on the polls. And certainly Raphael Warnock does not have a 10-point lead in any of the internal data that either of the campaigns or their allies have shown. So that poll is uh, I mean, 
it was easy to dismiss. But one of the findings in the poll, which you know we'll take a closer look at, which I think does reflect a little bit more of of what's going on, is the top issue for registered voters. About forty percent of registered voters said the top issue is going to be inflation in the economy. About fifteen percent or so said abortion, and about the same amount said guns. So you can see that dynamic going on between the economy reigning supreme, but also these cultural issues like abortion and guns and other issues are key too. And it goes to what you're saying, Patricia, we Georgians, we Americans, we can, we're multifaceted people. We can care about many things. And a lot of that sort of stew is going to go into how we decide our votes in November. Yeah. And I think what's going to be really interesting when we continue to dig into poll numbers is what's the amount of intensity on those issues. If you're talking to, I actually talked to a group of women voters earlier this week. Uh, They had gotten together to write postcards. They said, you know, I really was not all that focused on this election until the minute that that Roe v. Wade decision came down. And now they are not just paying attention, they are activating, they are trying to reach out to their neighbors. There is a level of intensity that it has sparked among some Democratic voters that did not exist before. So on a poll number, you know, on a poll question, what is your most important issue? Abortion. But what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to vote? Does that mean you're going to take your neighbors to vote? Does that mean you're going to go door knocking? I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack in terms of this uh, collection of issues. And time is really going to affect all of this as well. We don't know what the world is going to look like in November. But I do think that abortion issue shuffles the deck for Democrats. Uh, Before that decision, it really felt like Republicans had the absolute wind at their back. The generic congressional poll had uh, Republicans up between 7 to 10. Alan Abramowitz did a look at some generic congressional polling after that and showed Democrats making up big gains. Um, We don't know if that holds through November, but it does change the dynamic for some voters. And before we talk a little bit more about abortion, uh, a plea to our listeners, everyone should read Patricia's column earlier this week, which talked about the importance of knowing who your local elected officials are. You know, as you noted, Patricia, folks will know who the national figure is, who the wife of Clarence Thomas is, but they won't know who the chair of the Senate Judiciary is, or the most powerful figure in the state house, or the Republican who authored the anti-abortion legislation. And those those measures end up impacting us on a daily basis. And not just, you know, anything the legislature in Georgia does in ways far more meaningful often than federal legislation does and whatever Congress is doing. Yeah, and it really looks like the Supreme Court could be changing the the federal protections on a number of issues, which means that action on these will continue to be uh, found at the state level. Abortion is one example, but it's going to be one of many examples. And so in this column I wrote, I have I give this speech <laughs> where I say, you know, think globally, but vote locally. If you know who a congresswoman from Queens is, AOC, but you don't know which Senate district you live in, you are not doing it right right now. Um, I think it's time for people to really dig in and just know, not just know their community, people know their neighbors, but really understand who's representing you and understand, and you can do that by reading the AJC, um, understand how much power state lawmakers have. And it is only going to continue to grow. So much of what has happened when Georgians now look up and see um, the six-week abortion ban has passed um, or other things like a big, huge mental health parity bill came through. All of that is happening at the state level. That's happening at the committee level. 
who are the chairs of these committees, who has the votes on these committees. And so um, I, my column is just sort of a call for voters to really start to shift their focus from the national dynamics, which are important, but to the state and local dynamics, which increasingly are even more important. I always tell groups, in a state of 11 million plus people like Georgia, it's still really easy to get involved. It's amazing how quickly I've seen volunteers, activists, advocates, you know, play an instrumental role in politics in Georgia and in the legislative process and uh, from both sides of the aisle on, on all sorts of issues. So that was a very poignant column. And I'm glad you're also reminding audiences around the state of that. Um, because <laughs> uh, when it comes to the anti-abortion law in Georgia and what's next, We've talked about so much about the fallout of the ruling, and we'll continue to. We'll talk more about how in future shows and future episodes about how local officials will be on the front lines of this, You know, as, as a number of prosecutors and other officials are saying that they won't enforce the anti-abortion law. But we've also talked about the differences among Republicans in their stance and the pressure on Governor Kemp to take more strident action. Herschel Walker supports an outright ban. Burt Jones the lieutenant governor nominee for the GOP uh, now supports a ban with exceptions for rape, incest, when the life of the mother is at stake. We know that the state law doesn't go that far and it, it still allows abortions up until six weeks, which is still is before many women know they're even pregnant. And Governor Kemp is intent on pushing that side of things. But we haven't talked as much about the democratic divide. And we spoke about it last week about how Stacey Abrams, by not answering questions about what limits she would support, kind of opened a void and allowed Republicans and her critics to fill it and say that she would support abortions up until, you know, two days before the baby's born or whatever they wanted to say. Well, in an interview with me the other day, Stacey Abrams, for the first time, did set a limit. And here's what she said. Part of the intention on the side of the anti-abortion community is to create these artificial numbers that then stop it from being a medical decision. And we know that women face very different challenges, that the issue has to be that a doctor decides, not that the legislature sets an arbitrary deadline, whether it's six weeks or any other time period, to say that a medical decision can or cannot be made. Patricia, that was Stacey Abrams talking about how... uh, she would want to reverse Georgia's anti-abortion law and protect abortion up until viability, which right now is around 23, 24 weeks. Uh, the science keeps on changing. And I asked her, well, why not set a, um, a certain time limit? And that was her answer, which is that, that science continues to evolve and there's a danger of setting these arbitrary limits that plays into the hands of people who uh, oppose abortion. And I think it's important to recognize that Democrats are not entirely in lockstep on this. Uh, They are are not even entirely in lockstep on how to move forward in this kind of post-row world. It's not a monolithic block of voters. Some Democrats, uh, Joe Manchin, in West Virginia is is not alone. When he voted against the Women's Health Protection Act, he is an anti-abortion Democrat personally, although he said even he would move in to add some protections for women. And women also are not monolithic on this. So you understand why there are misgivings on the right and on the left exactly how and where to draw the line on this issue. But Democrats really are mostly uniform in saying this is a woman's decision at 
most points. And then there is a cutoff now for somebody like Stacey Abrams, Attorney General Jen Jordan, and then for Democrats in Washington, they are now talking about how do we move forward? Now, the Democrats in D.C., mm-hmm. the House Democrats have already voted on a bill. They did it last September in anticipation of something like this. The Senate doesn't have the votes to do that. They tried to vote on cloture. They don't have it. So the reason the divide on the Republican side is more important right now to watch is because Republicans have the power. You know, they have the cards in Georgia and they have the cards in D.C. They have the votes to block a bill protecting abortion. When you hear something about codifying abortion, abortion access, that's what they're talking about. And so Mm. um, Republicans have the power right now. So the split among Republicans is just a little bit more meaningful when they are in charge. Now, when you get into an election conversation, that's when the contrast between these two sides really becomes clear. And when you look at the Democratic ticket running against the Republican ticket in Georgia, it's just and unbelievably stark between Stacey Abrams and Governor Kemp, the lieutenant governor candidates, those attorney general candidates, all the way down the ballot. Voters are really going to have a choice in November, and Democrats in particular are going to be pushing this issue in front of voters, um, particularly women voters and suburban women voters, to say this is how it could be under us in the future. I'm glad you mentioned Jen Jordan, the the Democratic nominee for attorney general here in Georgia. She has also staked a similar position as Stacey Abrams, but in that role will probably play the biggest, other than maybe governor, but maybe even bigger than a role the governor will play. Um, Because as Jen Jordan has noted many times, she will not use any resources in the state office and her office should she be elected to defend the Georgia anti-abortion law. But Patricia, other Democrats have taken a, a different stance. Um, I talked to Senator Warnock in Dalton the other day, and I asked him straight up twice, would you support any limits? You know, when we're talking about a post-Roe world, what Democrats would do uh, to preserve and protect abortion rights, what limits should there be? And both times he said, look, I- I'm focused on the impact of this ruling, and I'm not talking about limits right now. He wants to talk about Herschel Walker's position supporting abortion completely, a total ban, including cases of rape and incest. He wants to focus on that. But as we noted in an earlier episode of Politically Georgia, that opens Raphael Warnock up to all sorts of attacks because now Republicans can continue to say that he wants to support, you know, that he would even support abortion up until the final moments, right? Which is not feasible and, you know, is not going to be part of the debate. But at the same time, he hasn't said where he would draw the line. And to your point, that really does open him up to Republican attacks that he would support abortion up to the last day of pregnancy. Now, he has never said that, but he really is taking this more philosophical stand. Look, this is none of my business. This is the business of women and their doctors. And by the way, it's none of your business. It's the business of women and their doctors. That's a that's a position that many Democratic voters are really going to appreciate, particularly some women Democratic voters. Other voters may want more specificity on that, and they may want more guidance from him, what would you vote on? What would you vote on? What is okay with you? Um, and but it, you know, by answering this repeatedly, I think he is giving us his answer. And I think for uh, we see Herschel Walker trying to attack him on that all the time. Herschel Walker says there's no such thing as a pro-choice pastor. Those two things cannot coexist. But I think that Warnock is trying to explain to voters why they can exist um, and why that is it is possible to both be deeply religious and pro 
abortion access at the same time. So he's giving, you know, again, that's a huge contrast between those two candidates. And it's certainly going to be a number one issue for some voters. And let's listen to Senator Warnock in his own words speaking about that divide. I think that we're in a dangerous place because what we're hearing is uh, uh, we're hearing from extreme politicians who would even undermine the ability of women to make their choices in cases of rape, incest, and even when the woman's life is on the line. Over against that, the American public supports Roe v. Wade. The majority of Georgians, the majority of people, Democrats and Republicans. And so what has happened in our system, unfortunately, is the voices of ordinary people have been squeezed out of their democracy. And now we saw in recent days the real-life implications of that, which is why I'm fighting in the end for the democracy and the voices of ordinary people. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluston, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. We're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, uh, which is a labor of love every night and every morning. (laughs) Um, We'll have uh, some new details about how Democrats are trying to control the narrative and redirect, redirect the narrative on high energy prices in your Friday jolt. We think the jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics every day, and you can get it in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the AJC for a limited time, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to the AJC for less than a dollar for just 99 cents. You'll have full access to AJC.com, the AJC e-paper, and all of our exclusive newsletters, including the Jolt, for less than $1. It's our best offer of the year for the best journalism in Georgia. Go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to get unlimited digital access for the next six months for just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. Uh, Patricia, you know one of the things that we have been covering so closely in Georgia and in Atlanta is part of our newspaper's namesake, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Of course, we were covering very closely the effort to divide the city and create a new Buckhead city, which has failed and doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Stacey Abrams opposes it. And Buckhead cityhood advocates didn't do themselves any favors by lining up behind David Perdue in the Republican primary. And we had our latest example of just how, um, <laughs> how 
desperate, I guess, or how last ditch this movement is right now when Mayor Andre Dickens and Governor Kemp showed up together at the opening of a mini police precinct in the heart of Buckhead. To me, that was a reminder of just how, uh, you know, just, just how renewed the city-state relationship in Georgia is right now. Yeah, in a weird way, that Buckhead City push almost almost moved that alliance faster and closer. It really did push whoever became mayor after Keisha Lance Bottoms to really reach out to the state and look for a way to partner. Um, and I think it also, because David Perdue took the position that he did, it gave Brian Kemp an opening to really partner with the city. And it is in both of these gentlemen's best interests, both Andre Dickens and Brian Kemp, to really get their arms around crime in Atlanta, especially Buckhead, and to show that they are taking these proactive steps to really try to address it. So that's what this police precinct is all about. But then to see not just the governor show up, Kelly Loeffler was at that ribbon cutting, Eric Tannenblatt, who's a big wig GOP booster mm-hmm. and also is head of the Bucket Coalition, Ed Lindsay, former state house member and Republican leader was there as well. So there were lots of Republicans out to really celebrate this moment with the mayor. In the back, there were some Buckhead City protesters with homemade signs. And to me, that really showed... Um, the difference in firepower between these two sides. You have like yeah. every leader in front and then these sort of like ragtag bunch in the back. But I think it really, you can just feel that the Buckhead City movement has been drained of all momentum, nearly all resources. It is just not really a thing anymore. But it probably did help propel this partnership between the state and the city to become a little bit faster, really gave them a reason to do it as soon as possible. And Andre Dickens wasted not one second after he was elected, called House Speaker David Ralston the next morning at 7 a.m. to really try to repair those bonds that had just frayed to almost nothing between former Mayor Bottoms and, and the rest of the state leaders. Yeah, look, um, Governor Kemp is a very conservative governor. I need not remind our listeners of that. Andre Dickens is a very progressive Atlanta mayor. We all of our listeners know that as well. But look, they can find common ground on issues um, where you need to find common ground is business related issues, crime related issues, economic climate related issues, right? And that's something that Nathan Deal and Kasim Reed were able to do over most of their two terms where they overlapped. And as you just noted, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms and Kemp did not see eye to eye on many of those issues. And part of it was also, not only were they warring, they were warring in public over, you know, Keisha Lance Bottoms would go on CNN and attack his stance on coronavirus policies and guns. And Kemp would go right back on Fox News and attack her handling of crime and and other related issues. You're not seeing that right now between Brian Kemp and Andre Dickens. Andre Dickens, you know, he is appalled and aghast by the Supreme Court ruling on abortion. He is in favor of stricter gun control policies and and and, and you know and all, all sorts of other a suite of other issues that Democrats support in Georgia. But he's also more reluctant to go directly after Governor Kemp because he also needs he needs that city state relationship to be strong because it helps a, a more vibrant Atlanta, but it also helps keep state lawmakers off of his back because it's not just Buckhead Cityhood. There's all sorts of ways that the state legislature could make a mayor's life, especially in Atlanta, very difficult. And it wasn't so long ago where we were writing a lot about a state effort to take over 
Atlanta's airport. Well, who was one of the main supporters of that effort? Republican Lieutenant Gubernatorial nominee, Burt Jones. So, you know, the, the other issues are are still in the back of his mind, even if Buckhead Cityhood is dead and pretty much buried, at least right now. Oh, for sure. I mean, this relationship is so mutually beneficial to Kemp and to Dickens at the same time. I think that also it, voters like to see that. No voters think that these men are going to agree on everything. They're from different parties. They're both partisans. But voters do want to see people working together on issues that they agree on and issues that seem otherwise apolitical. And certainly crime on the streets of Atlanta is something that voters want to see their leaders working together on to solve because that benefits everybody. It just doesn't matter what party you're in. So in that way, too, I think it boosts both men's just sort of image among voters. And also for, um, I thought it was really striking to see the mayor there with the governor, even as the governor has this really hot November contest waiting for him. Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. is waiting for him in November. And to see Andre Dickens sitting side by side, smiling with the governor, cutting the ribbon on this event, I think really boosted the governor in a way that other mayors might not have been willing to give the governor that kind of um, a good venue and a welcome, kind of roll out the welcome mat for this. So I think it's um, for both men, it took it out of politics, but it helps their politics at the same time in a weird way. But I think it also really helps shut the door on the Buckhead City movement to say we know Buckhead voters, and there was polling on this, Buckhead voters were very worried about crime. It was their very tippy top issue. And so this addresses those voters at the same time. It's the same issue all over the city. And so I think there will be an eagerness among voters around the city to look for similar high profile events to show that the mayor is focused on crime all around the city as well. Let's hear Governor Kemp speak about this in his own words. You know, I've said before that public safety has no political boundaries. It cuts across all political lines, whether you're Republican, whether you're a Democrat, whether you don't care. You want your neighborhood to be safe. You want your streets to be safe. And that's what today is all about, fulfilling the number one duty of government by protecting its citizens. That pretty much summed up what we were just talking about, Patricia. Now for our favorite segment of the week, the listener mailbag. And Patricia, this question comes from Tall Noodleman by way of Sandy Springs, by way of Israel, it says, and Houston. Um, what happens when big wait, news breaks? Wait, is that a real name? Tall Noodleman? Yeah, Tall Noodleman. Yeah. <laughs> Tall Noodleman. Um Israel slash Houston. So he has uh, an eclectic background and asks us, and now he lives in Sandy Springs, asks us, what happens when big news breaks and you're out of pocket? Patricia, that happens all the time. (laughs) It's just a way of life for journalists. I would like to say, I'm going to answer for Greg. There is no such thing as being out of pocket for Greg Bluestein. For example, he was supposed to be on vacation last Friday when the Roe v. Wade decision broke and literally within, I mean, I don't know, was it 15 minutes? There was a new story up on the AJC by Greg Bluestein about that decision and about the political implications of it. It might have been less than 15 minutes, but my slack started blowing up from Greg. I mean, it probably was 10 seconds later. How did you find out about it? But you were not... You're supposed to be on vacation, Greg, but I don't think that's really in your, that's not your strong suit. Well, we were enjoying a vacation in Wilmington, North Carolina as part of a kind of, kind of coastal swing. But I also kind of knew 
that the ruling was going to, I figured that I, I really had a strong hunch it was going to come out Friday morning. And of course, so did a lot of other media outlets because they had all their plans in place. So I finished a, uh, a long run on the beach, came back right around 9.30, 9.45. We were staying at a friend's beautiful house. And so I was kind of sit, sitting there at the poolside. My wife was relaxing. Our friends were relaxing. And we didn't really have any like huge plans because in part, because in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, this might actually happen. And and it is one of those all hands on decks things for reporters, right? I mean, it's it's this is upending a 50-year cornerstone of American law in a way that will reshape the way we look at November 2022. So sprung into action was done by early afternoon and then uh, and then was able to enjoy most of the rest of vacation. So luckily, you know, kids were at camp. I didn't have to cancel the events. Basically, we were hanging out at the, at the beach in the pool that day anyway. So instead of going to the sand, we were going to stay at the pool. But look, breaking news happens at all times. You want to be prepared for things you can be prepared for. So we can prepare for rulings like that. We knew we knew the outlines were coming thanks to Politico's leaked opinion. But there's lots of things you can't prepare for and you just do your very best. <laughs> and, and sometimes you don't break that story. You don't have the, you know, the immediate story, but you want to make sure you you have a complete story and you can write about all the aftermath and talk about it just as we still are about that abortion ruling. Patricia our second favorite is uh, the who's up, who's down segment. You want to start with down? Oh, sure. Or up? Oh, you know what? I have two ups right now. Hold on. I got to go back to okay. the drawing board. <laughs> I can start no, with you, my... You can, you, can, you can do both ups if you want. Okay. Um, so my number one who's up is the January 6th committee in D.C. They pulled off a hearing within 24 hours with Cassidy Hutchinson. And uh, this is a really quiet time in D.C. It's a two-week recess. And I think going into all of these hearings, the question was, well, will, will we learn anything new from these hearings? Will people pay attention to these hearings? And I think that this committee, by really keeping these focused, by presenting kind of a multimedia presentation in their hearings, and by putting forward witnesses that really have something new to say, they are really capturing people's attentions. And I think they're moving the story forward. And they are kind of changing the expectation for congressional hearings. So I've been very, very impressed with them. I'm going to say the January 6th hearing committee is who's up. Is that your one up or do you have a second up? My second up is Governor Brian Kemp. Seeing him cut the ribbon on this facility when public safety is one of his very top campaign issues, and he's standing alongside the Democratic mayor of Atlanta and telegraphing his kind of top campaign priority with public safety and doing it in the capital city and doing it alongside a Democratic official was a little bit of political jujitsu, although I think it was also underlying answering a real need in the city. And so that was a who's up for sure, probably to whoever's staff member got that together as well. My up this week is State Senator Jen Jordan, the Democratic nominee for Attorney General. Uh, as we noted earlier, the Attorney General's office might have more of a say over abortion policy than any other, including the governor's. And she's getting a lot more attention over her abortion stance. And for a down-ticket candidate, more attention is very good. And also very good for a down-ticket candidate when Republicans are attacking you and making you the face of an issue. That is very good. And Patricia, as you, as you reported, Marjorie Taylor Greene 
uh, went out of her way at a Georgia GOP fundraiser to make uh, try to make Jen Jordan the face of the Democratic Party, which is probably music to, to Jen Jordan's ears because if Marjorie Taylor Greene's attacking you and you're a Democrat, you're probably doing something right. Completely. And uh, Jen Jordan's response to me about Marjorie Taylor Greene is, Chris Carr cannot hide behind Marjorie Taylor Greene's skirts forever. November is coming. So she was, uh, she's not shying away from that fight with Marjorie Taylor Greene. No, a shrewd move tying Chris Carr to, to Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> um, you are down this week, Patricia? My down this week has got to go to the Republican lawmakers who are resisting the subpoenas or challenging the subpoenas from Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis in this special grand jury probe into Donald Trump. They are they're trying to use a kind of a legislative shield in the state constitution saying that there that portions of their debates are are protected by the constitution and they shouldn't have to come they want to know what is going to be asked, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of these were people who were involved in a lot of the stop the steal efforts. The governor is going to testify. Brad Raffensperger has already testified. Chris Carr has already testified. Democratic state lawmakers have already testified. I think providing information to this special grand jury is important. So I'm going to give them my who's down. Even if the Constitution says it's okay, you don't have to use that protection if you don't want to. I was surprised to see Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan on that list because he's written a book about this. He's talked on, on all sorts of <laughs> media platforms about this. It, it, you know, I, I I don't know why his name was part of it. Um, but my who's down is going to be the Buckhead Cityhood Movement. It, I forgot about them, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. For sure. And I know their efforts are gone. You know, their their power is diminished. I mean, we look. There was a moment earlier this year where it did seem realistic. Still far fetched, yes. but at least there was a shot at passing Buckhead Cityhood. And a a series of self-inflicted errors, disastrous campaign strategies, horrible PR, um, and then just terrible conspiracy theories and just a number of just (laughs) horrific blunders made uh, this movement that might have had an outside shot turn into a laughingstock. And the the opening of this police precinct and reinforced the phrase laughingstock because, (laughs) you know, a handful of these, you know, protesters, the movement's leaders didn't even show up. A handful of these protesters stood in the very back with, with handmade signs looking very glum while the power brokers in the city, Republicans and Democrats, all stood together to celebrate an opening of the new police station. Everybody, big smiles, looking straight ahead. Hey, Buckhead One, City. Two, three, <laughs> yeah! Thanks for listening to Politically Georgia. Remember to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday and Friday or whenever news breaks. We will see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. 
Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,